Welcome to the fourth episode in an old season of Amazing Race Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who spends most of his time on the podcast just trying to maintain friendships, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who enjoys making other people smell some rear end for a while, Michelle Pierce-Denovan. What? Really? <laughs> oh my gosh. Classic Ian quote. Oh my god. I was just trying to think who would have said that. <laughs> As soon as he said that, I'm like, I've got to make that Michelle's intro today. <laughs> I may or may not have written that quote down to him, like, oh, classic Ian quote, not thinking things through. <laughs> mm, nice. And this is, I would say, the first truly iconic episode of the season. Yeah, we're in an ins- we're going to be in for an insane stretch of episodes, I would say, over the next... Definitely over the next three episodes, arguably four, if you include the mayhem that is to get from um, Morocco to Europe. (laughs) Yeah, we did forget to mention this last week, but Dennis and Andrew, for a long while, were the record holders of getting eliminated while still using a fast forward. That wouldn't happen until Mark and Bob were in season 20? Exactly. They had a 17-season record beginning from last week's episode. In both instances, it's still controversial that neither team was able to catch up. Although I will say that Mark and Bopper's time advantage, I have a feeling, was a lot less than Dennis and Andrew's when they got the fast forward. Yeah. But yeah, this is, I would say, one of the messiest Amazing Race episodes ever. Yeah. um, I can't remember if we talked about Equalizers the last episode, but... In the early seasons of Amazing Race, having equalizers late in the leg was acceptable because you'd go usually three or four episodes without an equalizer, then one would get thrown in. So it felt like truly that raw adventure style was was what was in play. It didn't feel like a game show where everything resets at the start of each, each episode like it is now where, oh, everyone's thrown on the same plane at the start of the day. Everyone just races continuously until the end of the leg. And then you start on an even playing field once again at the start of the following leg again. And it just repeats for all 12 episodes. Here, we don't get our first true equalizer of the season until just before the last task and pit stop of the episode. It took three and three quarters episodes until we had, until everyone was on the same train. And of course, I don't think we... Don't get another equalizer again until very late in the season. And at that point, you can't help but feel that production wanted all three teams in the hunt for for the finish line. And they want to build up that suspense once you get down to the last four or five teams where equalizers are going to become a lot more frequent. But in terms of the first nine or ten episodes, or first nine episodes, I would say, you're rarely going to see equalizers and it just so happens to fall here right before a pit stop it's not like in say amazing race 21 when they make them wait 12 hours in barcelona to get a ferry to mallorca rather than you know flying them to palma no here it's just it's i think the equalizer was only what three or four hours possibly <laughs> probably not even that before the train from when the first team got to the train station to when the train left for Lisbon because I've taken the train from Porto to Lisbon before and I think for me it was uh it was during the middle of the afternoon yeah actually yeah probably early afternoon I was at the train station it was about a two or three hour wait for the train I think so it doesn't surprise me here that they get there mid-afternoon so yep yep two or three hours or four hours and they're all on the same train 
and we have some behind the scenes material for for this episode which will be fun to get into so previously 10 teams flew to london aaron and arianne began leading a twin hunt but ken and gerard formed an alliance with the twins Derek and Drew won the leg while Terry and Ian struggled, but it was Dennis and Andrew who arrived last, despite their fast forward, and were eliminated from the race. And it appears that it was a 12-hour pit stop. And we see mm. teams once again definitely mingling together because everyone sits in the at the same table like it's the Great Hall and Harry Potter. <laughs> they did get to stay in a freaking castle. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think even... Uh... Even one of the contestants was saying that it was like coolest pit stop of the whole season. And I mentioned this on the podcast at least half a dozen times now. So I'll just quickly go through it. This is indeed the episode when I was in the sixth grade where our teacher showed this episode in the classroom. God. This is the infamous Logan brings a VHS to school episode. Yeah, where I brought a VHS tape recording of this episode. Why? Why? <laughs> Hang on, why did you bring a recording to school? Because my teacher really, really liked The Amazing Race, so I, so I brought the VHS copy on a blank tape, because I always recorded the episodes each week for Survivor, Amazing Race, and the Mole. I always recorded on VHS tapes back in the day when mm-hmm. I was in elementary school. So yeah, I brought a tape of this episode, and, and yeah, we got to waste 45 minutes to an hour of our day on Amazing Race. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so bizarre. Did you have to sit through all the adverts in school as well? No, I think no, because I always because uh, what happened was because when I, I would be in charge of recording on the onto the VHS tape, so I could always press pause when it was commercials, like the T-Mobile. Some episodes, I think I was probably already had to be sleeping, but for the episodes that I was awake, I got to press pause to always edit out the commercials on the VHS tapes. I timed it as well oh. as I could have, and then because when I brought it for school. I did the classic, like what my sister used to do with uh, regular VHS movies, where you record the regular VHS movie onto a blank VHS tape. So I pretty much had to do the same thing before I brought this episode to school. (laughs) Gosh. So we have Derek and Drew leaving at 10.56pm, Ken and Gerard at 10.58, Flo and Zach at 10.59, Aaron and Ariana at 11, Heather and Eva at 11.01, Michael and Kathy at 11.13, then a big old gap to John Vito and Jill at 1.59am. Andre and Damon at 5.26am, and Terry and Ian at 5.28am. I must point out that uh, that when they were all mingling, showing the scene of them all mingling, that Zach is trying to drink from this cup, or it's like a cereal bowl, but he tilts it completely way up, and it just looks r- ridiculous in, in contrast to the other 17 people sitting at the table. It's just Zach just having this cup at like a, at like this 180 degree angle. <laughs> And then Phil saying, because this is still in the era of Phil having his questions before the star of the leg. And for some reason, when he talks about the twin hunt, he says, oh, well, Flo and Zach, Heather and Eve and Aaron and Ariane succeeded in their mission to get the twins out from the race. And he doesn't even mention Michael and Kathy or nor John Vito and Jill being a part of the twin hunt even though this is going to be the at least the second episode in a row where they're all in on it, especially in that weird storm, the airport scene, which I still don't get to this day. Like, what are they going to do? All run into the airport together and just stab Derek and Drew and Ken and Gerard? Like, what, what the hell is going to happen there? I quite liked how in the intro, they had Michael looking disgusted at the tactics of the twin hunt teams, and then Phil did not mention them. 
in the slightest, even though this is the most airtime we have seen of them all season so far. Yeah, and then, and of course, Phil for the second leg in a row says, Terry and Ian, who are the oldest team, were in last place for the second leg in a row. I'm thinking, yes, we get it, Phil. Old teams are supposed to be gone, and they're always at the bottom. <laughs> um, leaving at nighttime, in the dark. Like, it's so hard to see where the hell you're going. And who are the random guys standing around <laughs> outside the castle at 10.30pm? Was this a Saturday night? Probably drunkards. <laughs> exactly. The guy who helps Michael and Kathy 100% is drunk. So bizarre. It's my mom's phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's free. And Flo screaming, what direction? Let him leave the castle first to work that out. For Christ's yeah. sake, they're still Hello. running down the stairs. Hello, can we stop and figure out what direction we're going in? No, you just keep running until you figure it out. Oh what is Michelle going to be like next episode? Next episode's the first really peak flow episode. <laughs> I like how Zach had the confession of, oh, you know, we're still trying to maintain this friendship. Like, there's, it's clearly established there's no romantic sparks here. Whereas Zach says, oh, Flo is doing her best to accommodate my my needs, and I'm doing my best to accommodate hers. I'm like, is it really a two way street? <laughs> it's, 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 very, it's very diplomatic of him. We are in these episodes definitely going to defend Flo more than some podcasts would, but there are certain moments where you just go. Please just shut up and let him do his thing. Because Zach still aces, even like it's just a one half mile walk to the Stonehaven Harbor, and yet Zach is the one who leads the the three team crew to this massive shortcut and ends up being the first three teams to find the bottles. It's not just a shortcut; it's a footpath and a bike lane. So you could, in theory, ride your bike down there. I only know because of the sign that was next to it. But given how steep that hill was. You would not ride your bike down that footpath. Yeah. It looked like a death trap. At 11.30 at night. Yeah, yeah. because those blue signs that that you very briefly saw in the episode, the sort of divided person and bike one, that is a dual footpath and bike lane, basically. And this happens a lot in the early seasons, too, where you open up a clue and it's like, oh, your first clue is a mile or a mile and a half away. And then so it'll be some sort of like really inspired way to get the clue. And then you go to your next destination country. So, cause you don't see this anymore where it's like, Oh, go walk, go walk a mile to the stone, Stonehaven Harbor, find your clue on a bottle. It just happens to be a Porto wine, wine bottle. <laughs> and then everyone's going to be on a flight to the next country. Like you're not going to see that anymore. It's like, it's always very much open your clue. This is your next country. Everyone's on the same flight. Boom. That's it. Um, Michael and Kathy. Kathy starts off by saying, type C, type A. What scale is she working on? And does she think the general public will understand this? Also, from what we've seen of Michael and Kathy so far, I don't think you could describe Kathy as a type A personality given she hasn't spoken in three episodes. It's very strange. Like, why come out with that? I like how late Michael's the one who is the more laid back type in the team. Yeah, his quotes definitely get by far way more airtime than any of Kathy's quotes. It's so clearly the editors like something about Michael by always throwing in his his uh, his banter into the episodes. Yeah, and I do like how she says, "Hopefully they'll make a B together." Because I think you <laughs> yeah. said last week they are still together. Did they make a B? 
as far as I'm aware, they're still together. And yeah, teams have to now fly to Porto in Portugal and head to the Port Lodge, where they will find their next clue. But first, there is a crime against humanity, otherwise known as Aaron attempting a Scottish accent. Oh, oh my yeah, God! <laughs> what was that? It was nowhere near Scottish. Nowhere. It's like a German. Yes. I thought everyone in Scotland was supposed to be so nice. You sound like one of those. What is it? Um, excellent adventure. Um, Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted. <laughs> I know that I am very picky when it comes to accent work. Anyway, but Aaron is a front runner for one of the worst accents we have ever heard on The Amazing Race, I think. Because <laughs> there are some pretty bad Scottish accents in this episode. Flo, bless her heart, does try to steal Aaron's crown a few times, but nothing is as bad in this episode as Aaron attempting the Highland Scottish accent. Flo, is that you? I like how Flo is also yelling at the trailing teams to be like, hey, you guys are so slow. It's like, of course they're slow. They started like five minutes behind you. <laughs> you got to give them time to catch up. Pick up the pace, slow pokes. And yeah, as we said, Michael and Kathy do find a local to ring the airline for them using his mother's phone. He's 100% drunk. And we also see both Gerard and Flo booking flights for their teams. I like how when Michael like gives him back the phone, he's like, "Oh, thanks, Playa." I'm like, I don't know if that guy qualifies the Playa label. He has his mom's phone. <laughs> this is also the first episode of the season where we don't see anyone go for a fast forward, which probably would have been wise in certain people's cases in this episode. Well, as we know, um, so th- this is a fun thing to note: is that Ken and Gerard actually go for the fast forward in this episode unintentionally, but it doesn't air on TV or anything. Why? Uh, what do you mean unintentionally? They thought it was a task that they had to do, and they just started oh. doing this puzzle. Like, oh wait, this is the fast forward, and I think they wasted fifteen or twenty minutes on it. Mm. Did you spot the fast forward clue in this episode? Did you? No. I did. Okay, no. I, I didn't. Was it at the Port Lodge? It was not. It was actually on the back of the wine label. Oh, okay. Mm. It's only visible, I think, when Terry and Ian go into the shop. But it's it's visible when they're in Stonehaven. I think it was Terry and Ian where it's visible in the hand of Terry. But I think it was on the back of the wine label. I'm very curious if the team that went for the fast forward would have been able to get on an earlier train. I think they probably would have because I maybe have some information on those trains. But <laughs> yeah, the... The fast-forward isn't ignored much in this season. I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but this is one of the very few legs where a fast-forward is not at least attempted in this season. Oh yeah, we're about to enter a huge stretch of episodes where people go for the fast-forward. Yeah, this is one of those seasons where quite a lot of those fast-forwards are taken, and it's very interesting to play the game of spot the fast-forward clue when it does appear, which is something I will be doing in this leg, next leg, and leg eight, which also isn't taken. Just to warn you now. What's interesting with this whole twin hunt thing is that not only does the obsession continue now for the third episode in a row, but the fact that Derek and Drew say, you know what, we probably wouldn't be as competitive uh, if it wasn't for knowing that half the teams were against us. So we actually think it's really fun and want to keep playing just to keep the rivalry going. So it's a matter of Sean Vito and Jill, Michael and Kathy, Flo and Zach, Aaron and Ariane. And uh, Heather and Eve, it's like they made their own worst enemy just by creating this rivalry. Mm. It's kind of like in Harry Potter with Voldemort going after Harry when if he just didn't 
try to mark his enemy, he probably would have been able to become the supreme, the supreme Dark Lord. <laughs> it's also worth bearing in mind that of the first three legs, three of them have been worn by one of the alliances, and none of them have been won by the other. Yeah. So I wonder which alliance you'd put money on at this point in the season, taking it all the way. Would it be the teams who've done okay, or would it be the teams who've won every single leg so far? Yeah, between Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew. <laughs> yeah, I forget that technically, yeah, they do win all four legs to start out the season. Spoilers, five legs, actually. Yeah. Because yeah, it's it's funny because Ken and Gerard at the end of this leg don't really get acknowledged for having a first place finish. Nor do they get a prize. Yeah, nor do they get a Kodak Easy Share digital camera at the very least. <laughs> so all the first seven teams are on the same flight from Aberdeen to Heathrow, and Ian rings the guy who took him around Stovenhaven the previous day to get him to come back and help him again. And as I said, the fast forward clue is on the back of the wine level. I'm surprised that guy would be awake so early in the morning. Well, he would have had 12 hours break at least. Yeah, but still, it's like, what, 6am? Yeah, I mean, leave it to Ian to think, ah, it's 6am, they should be up. Let's call him. Let's call his house and wake him up. <laughs> By the time that they get the the harbour clue, it's probably about quarter past six, so maybe they walk to the shop, it's maybe about half six. He's probably already, already working doing airport runs. If it's not Sunday, though, because it was Saturday night the night before, apparently with random men outside... Still, though, I think general rule is you don't just randomly call up somebody who you've only met once at 6am. I think Ian was probably told by the guy, you can ring me if you need any help. And how was he going to help? Was he going to book his flight for him? No, he's a taxi driver. Oh, was he? Oh, okay. Yeah, I missed so it was, an easy way to, it was an easy way to get, um, to get to the airport. That's good. A quick taxi arrival. I still don't understand Andre and Damon's uh, binoculars, by the way. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about Heather and Eve being morons in this episode. Andre and Damon are the absolute worst in this episode. I know there is always some underappreciated moments that I always like to highlight my blog every now and then by Andre and Damon. And then the binoculars uh, screen cap I always like to throw in every once in a while. But re-watching this episode again, it just it makes me laugh so much more actually seeing that scene play out like, what does he gain by spying on Terry and Ian gain into a cab with his binoculars while while Andre's booking the flight? I think the editors really didn't want us to like Andre and Damon in this episode. I think they want us to think Heather and Eve are idiots. I think they didn't want us to like Andre and Damon. And I think they succeeded in making us not like Andre and Damon. It's just so funny, just, I mean, the way they start out with the red light, cutting through the line, and then... The fact that they get so far behind that Terry and Ian are their only competition and Terry and Ian actually beat them to the airport. And then this episode, you have the binocular spine and then really grilling Heather and Eve for their driving. <laughs> Not to mention Andre and Damon break another rule by going to the rock store for their deliveries. Yep. So Terry and Ian and Andre and Damon are on the flight leaving at 10 a.m. And Derek and Drew and Ken and Gerard fly to Cologne to get a 30-minute lead on the other teams. The other seven are flying direct from Heathrow to Porto. And Ian is obviously happy that they caught up. He says maybe they can make some other people smell some rear end for a while. And we get into this little mini storyline that we were not exposed to. Well, mainly because Aaron and Ariane have never really been around tearing Ian all season. I think this is the first scene where both teams have been together since the start of the episode, but... 
when they wake up as Terry and Ian and Andre and Damon show up at the airport, Aaron just looks over and to see Terry and Ian, he's like, oh, everyone else is caught up with us. They're louder and as obnoxious as ever. <laughs> God, I love Terry and Ian. I know I said this in the premiere, but Ian just does not realize how he rubs some people up the wrong way. And it's my favorite sort of character in a season like this is just the completely oblivious person who is so over enthusiastic, but just does not realize how awful it is at like 11 o'clock in the morning to be surprised by you shouting in their face, basically, that you've got up. And we're going to get two more scenes, believe it or not, of Aaron and Ariane talking about how much they hate Terry Ian. There is one quote on the boat that I have never noticed before, despite seeing this season you know, a few times when I was younger. There's still one clip that I barely... Uh, it's really, really subtle. I'm curious if you guys have picked up on it when we get there. But it just made me laugh so hard. The only other Heathrow-themed thing that I have is, did you notice what was on Terry's bag? when she was sat down giving a confessional in Heathrow. No. She had a tag saying WRP Group. So they're actually tagging the races at this point with World Race Productions. Oh. It's only visible for a few seconds. Gosh, you were quick. I did notice that a lot of the bags are smaller. Like in later seasons, a lot of the bags get bigger. But there's quite a few small bags this season. Yeah, then it's it's interesting because by season three too, we're gonna have some teams that just only have one bag between the two of them. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious why they. I'm curious. I'm guessing the bags get a bit bigger after this season because racers research what they need to pack, or, mm-hmm. it, or it, they they try to not get as big of a bag as Heather and Eve, as Heather and Eve do. Because <laughs> so I guess they packed way too much stuff. Yes, yeah. Eve complains about her back every single episode. The Cologne plane lands at 1.05pm, but their connecting flight is already closed. However, Derek and Drew do manage to charm the gate agent into reopening and actually issuing them boarding passes. They do very well to get that opened. Especially with the no-nonsense German gate agent, who's one of my favourites in this episode. She's just like, no, no, I'm not opening it. (laughs) I like how 99, I think probably 99% of the time... Canada Jordan and Derek and Drew do not get on that plane. Because no, all the other teams looked into that same flight and they said, no way are we doing like a... Was it really a half an hour layover? Half hour layover, yeah. Yeah, no way would anyone else do that. <laughs> we have previously discussed this. <laughs> yeah, we discussed this at length. Yeah, you. I think just last episode we did. And it's the second episode in a row where... Teams book a, a layover that's under an hour and somehow still make the connection. So when they land in Porto, Aaron does turn his eye onto Ian for screaming taxi in the airport, and apparently he is the definition of an ugly American. I was wondering, I mean, why is he screaming taxi actually through the terminal? Unless, you know, in some countries they do have the taxi guys, the dodgy taxi guys are actually wandering around the airport. I think it's just desperation. <laughs> this is the best that Terry and Ian have done all season. You have to bear that in mind. <laughs> this is the first time they've not technically been in the bottom three yeah. all season. It's <laughs> funny, like, when they get off the plane, Ian's like, I'll get ugly if I have to. I'm like, oh, how ugly can you get? And sure enough, it's like, taxi, hola, hola, taxi, taxi. And yell, not just, like, just exclaiming it. Proper shouting for taxi the second he gets into the terminal. 
And then Aaron's like, that guy is a pig. And then Ariane says, he is crazy. <laughs> it's like, I think it's just what happens when a team has always been at the bottom for three episodes and they just want to not be dead last again. Yeah, you do have to bear in mind that Terry and Ian, from after this episode, I would say, have a bit more of a redemption arc. Especially next episode. I think Ian is probably the hero of next episode, if I remember that episode correctly. Yes. Yes, you, yes, you do. Which is very interesting, contrasting it with Aaron describing him as an ugly American in this one. Knowing the journey that Ian especially is going to go on next episode and later on in the season. Yeah, pretty much next episode, Ian's going to completely own Aaron. Yeah, Ian is going to absolutely justify the the positivity that I have shown to him over the past three episodes with his performance next episode, I think. But in the meantime, they're still viewed as the, as the crazy older team that somehow just never gets eliminated. <laughs> so once they get to the port lodge, it is a detour, it is old school or new school. In old school, teams have to load one 90-pound port barrel onto a boat and help the oarsman row porto to get their next clue from a nearby restaurant. In new school, they have to load boxes of wine onto a truck and drive them to Porto, but they have to deliver three boxes to three separate addresses to get their next clue. And they have to deliver to the Majestic Cafe last, Andre and Damon. Majestic Cafe, which is also where J.K. Rowling worked on the Harry Potter books. It is, just not in Porto. (laughs) I have actually been past where she wrote the Harry Potter books. Which one of these would you have done? Probably do the boat. The boat yeah. just seems, on paper seems easier. It's like one delivery, and you just got to row a boat. I would have done it the is boat. a nursery rhyme. It just depends how coordinated you think you are. And the pack, and then it says even in the clue that you get help to row the boat. Mm. I think on paper you probably do pick the boat. I don't know if everyone was just eager to get into some trucks or what. And plus, if you've ever been to Porto too. And the fact that I went to all three of these locations for the day tour. <laughs> because of course you did. The one time I've, did, I've really done that on my own. So I went to all three places that they delivered wine. And those are some narrow, steep streets. I would not want to drive a big truck <laughs> down those streets. It's like, I can kind of understand why somebody like Eve, like unless you're really good driving a stick... I think that I, I would think on other seasons you'd have even more teams in the position that Eve was. What crashing into a bollard? Hmm. Possibly. I mean, those. Well, not. Well, that was completely flat. That wasn't even a hill. <laughs> Maybe not as bad as Eve, but in terms of like trying to drive on the hills and stuff around the streets, I could see that being a bit more of a challenge because those those streets are steep and and they are quite narrow. They're very traditional old town European style streets. So both brother teams choose to row with varying degrees of success, and unsurprisingly, Derek and Drew leave the detour in first. I like how when they're rowing, they're like, oh, this is actually a nice, nice row. This is this feels really good. It's uh, good to get this workout in. And you have Ken and Gerard say, no, my back hurts. I'm not going to be able to walk tomorrow. Ugh, this is so <laughs> difficult to do. I think looking at the detour as a purely cultural experience during the rowing is more fun. Yeah, I mean, it is a, it's beautiful along Porto there, especially along the water. Because you can drive around a congested city whenever you want. You can't really have the the opportunity of rowing across to Porto. No. 
And it looked like a really beautiful day there too. When I was there, I think it rained all three days. <laughs> so Warren's teams do get the detour clue. They find out that they have to now travel by train to Lisbon and find gate F of the Estadio do Restelo to get their next clue. The hours of operation are 8am to 2am. And they barely make the hours of operation. Now I did obviously do a bit of research into this. The train ride is about three and a half hours long and it is 15 times a day. Wow. So the fact they had to wait so long to get um, to get a train is a bit suspicious. <laughs> mm. Unless they were all, I mean, they all could have finished that detour pretty closely together. I mean, if they all still did it within like an, because you could have like lots of morning trains and then once you get to about 4 or 5 p.m., maybe they spread out a bit more. On average, you're looking at a train about every two hours. All of those people waited way longer than two hours. I don't know who would have been how much longer it would have been because Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew only had a half an hour head start, and Porto's not a big city by any means. I can't see Michael and Kathy being that much further behind from getting from the airport to the wine lodge. I don't know, maybe like they lost twenty minutes or half an hour on everybody. Plus, they did the faster detour option, so the gap would have been even smaller. I mean, maybe the, the the timing was different years ago. They didn't have as many trains. Yeah, it is 19 years ago. <laughs> the flight time from Cologne to Porto is two and a half hours, but then you gain an hour back. So they probably landed three o'clock at the, at the absolute latest. That's Derek and Drew and Ken and Gerard. And because it's within the EU, there probably won't have been customs. But yeah, it's still very impossible. I mean, that's... I mean, by the time they finish the detour and get to the train station, and I think they were told they could walk to the train station too, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were probably a little bit unlucky. I think they probably just missed the train. Yeah, that's that's what I assume too. It's like they just missed the train and then everyone was able to catch up within, it could easily have been just an hour and a half or two hours and everyone was there. Didn't have to be that much time, even with Eve crashing her car, her truck, God knows how many times. <laughs> There's a whole and Andre and Dave been messed up here again. Even before we get into their interaction with Heather and Eve, when they're loading the crates of wine into the trucks, who is the one team that completely drops and smashes a, cr- a cr- oh crate? Oh my god. It's Andre and Damon. Like, it's not even that difficult. It's not cumbersome to pick up a crate of wine that probably has handholds. How do you drop one? Beams only had three at once. Yeah. He didn't even drop it like oopsies. It dropped straight down. It just slipped out of his hands, and I don't understand how he did it. No, I don't understand either. And and just yelling out, we need another crate. Like, no no concern for how much that crate just cost. Like, just, we need another crate. I can tell you that a crate of Porto port wine, quite expensive. Yeah. It's not the cheapest thing in the world. It's like their number one tourism industry is doing uh, port wine tastings. But I'm like, oh, oh, I like my stomach actually churned a little bit when I saw that that crate of port wine crash. I'm like, no, you don't do that to port wine. It's like the one of the fanciest wines. And we also, in this bit of the episode, get the first instance of Terry calling Ian Iron yeah. when they argue over which saw they're actually doing. I don't know why there's a lack of consistency from Terry when she calls him Ian instead of Ian. 
maybe she's just channeling her inner coach and hoping that iron will sharpen iron. Iron, iron will sharpen iron. <laughs> oh, but I don't know. It's like when she's angry, she calls him Ian. So is Ian his actual, the actual pronunciation of his name? And then Ian is just what is more informal. What literally anyone who's ever met an Ian would would say. Would say, yeah, I don't know. But there's obviously got to be some sort of story behind why he's called Ian. And Ian actually ends up being right here because they're, they're, they chose old school, but then Terry's like, no, we bring that barrel into the truck. Boats, trucks, boats. It says boats. I hope you're doing this right. <laughs> and then this is... The one scene I have never noticed before, but it's absolutely hilarious. Because Aaron and Ariane and Terry and Ian are the only two teams out of the out of the six that show up to the detour in that pack. Michael and Kathy will eventually choose the boats as well. So then so Aaron and Ariane are on the boat, and then Terry and Ian get on, and then Aaron says, Oh, Terry and Ian are right here, Ariane. And Ariane says, On the boat? And Aaron says, Yeah, on the boats. Ew. <laughs> I had never noticed that before because it's a really quiet ew, but I had to go back and re-listen to it twice. I'm like, yep, Ariane definitely says ew when she finds out Terry and Ian are doing the same detour option. They're not even on the same boat. They're on separate boats, and Ariane is still grossed out by it. I know. It's so weird. I was like, what's what's your problem? I don't know, but Ariane just, even when... Uh, E- Terry and Ian show up at that airport at the airport initially in uh, was it in London? Even then, Aaron and Ariana are like, oh, we really don't like them. So something must have happened during the mingling because I can because definitely during the first three episodes, there I don't think Aaron and Ariane have been on the same plane or bus or in the same pack as Terry and Ian once no. until that episode. So I'm like, something must have happened at the pit stop where Aaron and Ariane like, oh god. I can't believe that came out of his mouth just in a, probably in a brief introduction. Not them again. Yeah. You. But I like how 19 years later, and I still get to pick up on a scene that I had never <laughs> noticed hmm. before. And I like how when they're picking up all the crates, not just Damon dropping a crate, but Flo ends up picking up one crate for her and Zach. Zach apparently transported all of the other crates into the truck. Well, of course. <laughs> And clearly the old old school or the boat detour was much faster because uh, Aaron, Ariane, and Terry and Ian finished the detour before everyone else does. Andre and Damon could have finished it faster because they looked like they were breezing through it, but of course they can't follow the basic rules of the race and transport the wine to the Majestic Cafe not to last. And I assume that was the rule because that's the guy who held the clue. No one else did. So yeah. it's like, yeah, you must transport to Majestic Cafe last. It's like, yeah, it's not just a reading comprehension exercise. I'm going to guess that production did not want to print out uh, how many teams were there, nine teams left. So that could have been 27 clues to print out. Because mm-hmm. in future seasons, what they would do is then say, right, take your clipboard to this person who will give you your next clip. Yeah. Yeah, they make it much clearer and much more linear. It'd be like, you go here first, like, Whenever they have the deliver these or deliver this to these addresses, it would definitely be like you go here first, you go here second, you go here third, or or most of just one address. But here it's like no, you can do any order you want, but you must choose the majestic cafe last. Where it's like, isn't that kind of a predetermined order? Because now there's only one of two two possible routes you can transport the wine. 
you can do any order you want as long as it's one of these two. <laughs> so many options. <laughs> do you want me to just mute while you talk about Andre and Damon and Heather and Eve? And they're bickering with the wine and the trucks and the driving oh, and the sniping and yeah. everything else. Oh, well, it's established very early on that Heather and Eve become one of many, many all-female teams who struggle with driving a stick. It's a big hall of fame that has accumulated over the course of 30 seasons. But Heather and Eve, I think, are up until Meredith and Maria are the most disastrous with a stick. Although I can't remember if Maria actually crashed into anything during season six. <laughs> it is quite interesting how we are recording this on the day when you released your blog about how Natalie and Nadia couldn't drive. Yeah, they joined. They definitely joined the Heather and Eve realm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's another all-female team who cannot drive a stick. And it gets to the point of just Andre and Damon cursing. I'm like, oh God, Heather and Eve's in front of us. And... At one point, they're at the same stop at the same time, because I think it's after Andre and Damon have already screwed up the Majestic Cafe stop. It's like, oh, now we got to backtrack. Oh, there's Heather and Eve in a truck again. And then we get this lovely back and forth of Eve's like, well, if you help me transport the wine into the store, I can move faster, guys. And then Damon's like, okay, okay, I'll help you transport the wine into the truck. Just move your truck, Eve. Well, I have to wait for Heather, though. Move your truck, Eve. But I have to move. Move. Move your truck, Eve. Move it. Damn you. Move your damn truck. My absolute favorite thing about watching this earlier was I was just thinking, oh, Michelle's not going to like them using their feminine charms to get Andre and Damon to, uh, to help them here. No, I'm okay with them. I'm okay with them using feminine charms. That's fine. I loved it. I love it when girls do that and, and the guys have actually no idea what they're doing. But it was I love the scene because he just wants the car to move and he can't move and he's just so frustrated. <laughs> move your damn truck, Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then and then after Damon helps Heather and Eve with, with completing the detour or click of completing that stop. So Heather and Eve can drive out again. And she even tells Andre, you have to back up because I'm going to roll down this hill. I'm thinking, oh God. <laughs> and Heather and Eve start driving along the streets there. And Andre and Damon are like, yes, okay, we can get ahead now. We're not going to be at the back of the pack like we always are. And because there really aren't, like, Porto's not that big of a city, especially this area where the stores are. There aren't that many streets to drive around. It's probably only going to be, like, three or four streets. Like, the stores are fairly close together after walking to all of them on foot. And fun fact, one of the stores is actually closed in the past 19 years, or I guess when I was in Porto, that was four, just over four years ago, and one of the stores had already closed. It might have been the Chez Lapin was the one that was closed. Mm. That was like you mean Chez Lapin? Chez Lapin, no, no, Chez Lapin. That's one of the teams said. They did say Chez Lapin, and it did irk me because it's obviously Chez Lapin, otherwise known as Rabbit's House. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, Heather and Eve are blocking Andre and Damon on the street again, where Eve is just struggling. <laughs> And then Andre, and then Andre's like, oh, "Damn, dude, she can't freaking drive. She's killing me. She's killing me, Smalls. She's she actually manages to quote the sandlot here. She's killing me, Smalls. She can't freaking drive a stick." 
What do you expect from a Harvard girl? That's not on her curriculum. I'm surprised she hasn't hit somebody or driven through a store. And then he even takes it one step further, leans out his window and says, watch out, watch out, everybody. There's an American driver on the street. That's good. My favorite thing about Heather and Eve at the Majestic Cafe is the fact that you just can't tell that she's just driven into a bollard. She doesn't tell anyone. She keeps it nice and quiet. She doesn't constantly say, I've just driven into a bollard. I've just had an accident. I've just driven into a bollard to literally anyone she meets. Yeah, she said, I counted it. Because uh, she says, her exact quote is, I crashed the car. There's a couple seconds of Heather. Heather just completely zeroed in on the task. Like, Heather isn't even listening to Eve. She's like, well, we got to deliver this wine. And then Eve says, I just crashed the car. And then Heather gets the signature from the guy. Here you go. Here's the wine. No, we can have her clue now. And then Eve, as she is opening the clue, she says, oh, I just crashed the car. Thinking, man, three times in five (laughs) seconds. And it's not like throughout this episode where I think Ian's audio is repeated twice or Aaron's we're out audio gets replayed. This is very clearly three different clips of Eve saying, I crashed the car. I just crashed a car. I just crashed a car. She just wants someone to acknowledge her and no one's acknowledging her. I think maybe more than anything, she wanted Heather to acknowledge her, but it's yeah. made very clear that Heather does not care. It's like, whatever, you crashed a car. We have to keep going. <laughs> Get over it. Yeah. I mean, there was even the interesting quote at the very start of the episode where Heather says, for me, this competitiveness, this race, it invigorates me and energizes me. There's adrenaline. For Eve, it has the exact opposite effect. And it's very clear, even at the start of the episode, where Eve says, oh, I'm just so tired. And then clearly trying to figure out how to drive a stick shift, where Eve is just like, oh, I think I won out of this race now. Weak, 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 weak. I like how even when when Andre and Damon are, are driving just after Andre cussing out Heather and Eve on the street, where Damon's like, oh, be careful, you have enough room, Andre. And then Andre says... I have plenty of room. I didn't go to Harvard. (laughs) I think we will get to this with Heather and Eve, but I'm not entirely sure that they were disappointed that they got penaltied out of the race. I think Heather was, Eve not so much. Yeah. Heather was by far the more competitive person. And then, uh, oh yeah, then at the train station, once everyone starts getting equalized, Terry and Ian are on the escalator and they bypass Ken and Gerard. And it's the first time they've seen them since Ken and Gerard got the fast forward in leg one. So it's been a really, really long time. And Terranian said, oh, we felt great. And there is an immediate cut. No interval at all. As soon as Terranian says, we felt great. They cut to a Ken and Gerard confessional saying, we felt awful. <laughs> like that was some great editing right there. Complete contrast between constant front runners, Ken and Gerard, for the past three and a half legs, and then constant trailing team tearing Ian's like, we're great to catch up. And Ken and Gerard are like, oh, we felt awful. Everyone was catching up to us. <laughs> and then after Andre and Damon finish the detour, Damon Damon says, if I, if I win, when I win, I'm going to come back and eat here at the Majestic Cafe. I'm like, well, I guess, I guess they're, gonna, they're, they're still waiting to reserve that table there. <laughs> And we get another we get another brilliant Eve and Andre interaction. It's my second favorite interaction of the episode where Heather and Eve show up to the train station. It's just Eve chatting with Andre, where Eve says, Are we in last place? And Andre says, uh, well, there is no last place. We're we're all here waiting for the train. And then Eve <laughs> says, But there's other people here. 
yeah, there's other people here, Eve. But I was so confused. I'm like, I, I just need to get past this because I just can't cope with what you're saying. I just didn't understand. How much? It's like in The Simpsons where they have the cult where they offer the free weekend retreat. And then Homer says, uh, how much is this free weekend? It's free. And when is this free weekend? It's this weekend. And how much is this free weekend? <laughs> and then Eve goes and just goes inside the doors right away and sees Jill. And then Eve asks, oh, what's the next train? And then Jill says, 710, everyone's here. And then Eve says, oh, everyone's here? Okay. Like, Andre just told you all of that information <laughs> like two seconds ago. And you're just getting it now on the fourth time. It was the fourth time that it was explained to her. <laughs> I know that we have had some serious problems in more recent seasons with the editing, but the last bit of this episode is beautifully edited. There's such brilliant foreshadowing, starting at this point when we find out that the next train doesn't depart till 7.10pm, so everyone is tied once more, and everyone has confessionals about how the roadblock will be the thing that determines the elimination this episode, and everyone needs to do really well at the roadblock just to make sure they don't go home. About that, the roadblock probably isn't going to determine the elimination this episode. There was great foreshadowing, actually, at the very start of the episode. It's when Derek and Drew leave the pit stop where they read, you must walk to Stonehaven Harbor, and then Phil explains the clue, and then they cut back to Derek and Drew, and they're like, it says walk. You can't go any other way. And I'm thinking, there's no way that was included in there just on its own. That has hmm. to be a reference to the pit stop for this episode. There are so many instances during this episode of people going, you've got to walk to this place. You can't do any other method. You have to walk on your own two legs. Just make sure you walk to this place. <laughs> Maybe we just walk into the harbour. Oh, God. Maybe we take a taxi to just outside of Stonehaven mm -hmm. Harbour and then we walk into the place. You went to Harvard. Harvard! Christ's sake! Logan, do you just want to mute for five minutes while Michelle rants about Heather and Eve? <laughs> We're not there yet anyway. We haven't even done the, the roadblock. Let's do the roadblock. I like Michael's analogy on the train where, he's, where he says, it's like being on death row. We're just counting down the minutes until one of us dies. <laughs> it's like Hunger Games. <laughs> oh, I mean, this entire episode, this is my favourite episode of the season so far that we've rewatched because it's just so brilliantly told from an editing point of view. They are so unbelievably dickish to Heather and Eve in this episode. They make them look like absolute buffoons. It's like Heather and Eve did, re Heather and Eve did really well in the first three episodes. It's just, I don't know if they were on tilt, which is a poker term where as soon as you lose, like if you lose an unlucky hand, then it just messes with you psychologically and you just screw up and screw up and you're out of the tournament within like the next half an hour or something. It's like Heather and Eve are on tilt the second that, the second that Eve has to start driving a stick. <laughs> then it's just screw up after screw up. Mm. Like Eve can't even understand the basic concept of there is no last place. We're all on the same train. What? We're all on this left 7, 10 PM train. Oh, that's news to me. And I must note that the soccer stadium isn't really all that close to the train station in Lisbon. Mm. I'm not surprised because I have been to Lisbon. I had no idea where this football stadium was. I went there and I can tell why the pit stop de determined 
who survived and went home. Because I could not imagine at two o'clock in the morning trying to walk from that soccer stadium and figure out where Torre de Belém is from there. <laughs> it's a fair walk because the soccer stadium, you can't really tell in the episode, but the soccer stadium is way up in the hill. And then the Torre de Belém is on the water. So once teams do arrive at the location, they find out it is a football stadium and a roadblock, which is who's got long arms and fast feet. In this roadblock, one team member must save a goal from a Portuguese teenager to get their next clue. And it is Ken, Zach, John Vito, Drew, Michael, Heather, Damon, Ian and Ariane doing this roadblock. And I have nothing to say about this roadblock. Uh, Yeah, the only behind the scenes thing I know of is that the parents of the soccer players were really upset that the kids all had to stay up till all the teenagers had to stay up till two o'clock in the morning just for this task. And I think, and I'm pretty sure it was a school night. God. So they would have just done this thing for a random American TV show and then try to get home in Lisbon, which is a pretty big city. So, and I'm sure they don't live in the Belém area too many of the soccer players. And I'm guessing they would probably have to be up like four or five hours later just to go to school. Why do you think no one went for the uh, fast forward in this like? I'm going to guess because everyone was, it was an equalizer. So yeah. no one felt like they were, although Michael and Kathy probably should have gone for it. I'm surprised Michael and Kathy didn't because they were, they knew they were last. Because from what we've heard, the fast forward was just a tile puzzle of some description, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just like a quick puzzle. Yeah, it was a, t- yeah, it was a tile puzzle. And Ken and Gerard did like half the puzzle. <laughs> I think it was basically just a tile jigsaw from what I've heard on the grapevine. Yeah. But yeah, I'm surprised Michael and Kathy didn't go for it because yeah, they definitely would have been they definitely would have won this leg and not have as much not be as close to elimination as they were. Yeah, and this was in Porto as well, so there would have been a huge advantage for whichever team had done it because they would have definitely got an earlier train, number one. And more importantly, it would have probably kept them ahead for at least two more legs. They would have been easily at the front of the pack for two, maybe three more legs. Yeah, but they wouldn't know that. They and and also because they were all sort of together anyway. Why try and use up something that you might need later in your race? Yeah, but if everyone's bunched, then all it takes is one little mistake, and you're out. I could see, yeah, like teams like not going for the fast forward right at the start of the leg, but the only team who should have gone for it would be Michael and Kathy because they knew they were they were last. Because I think after about 20 minutes in the taxi, like, hmm, this doesn't seem like such a big city that we flew into. I have a feeling our taxi driver got quite lost. And the fact they didn't even see, they knew they had the last clue in the clue box. I'm surprised right then that they're like, you know what, let's do the fast forward now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on the subject of Michael and Kathy, Michael is the first to leave the roadblock, followed by Ken, Damon, John Vito, Zach, Heather, Ian, and then Ariane. Do you see how I stopped it? With my face! And teams must now walk in massive bold text to the Torre de Belém, the pit stop for the leg of the race. The last team to check in will be eliminated. Was it in bold text? It's in bold text on my notes, Michelle, because my next note is, they sure seem to be repeating, you must walk a lot. I thought you meant it was in bold text on the actual clue. I think it is. I think it normally is anyway. It's even worse for them. They're even more stupid. I'm pretty sure there will have been something on it saying, you must walk. Please note, you must walk. Additional route info on a slip that they tuck away in the envelopes that we never see on screen. 
additional info you must walk (laughs) i mean it's brilliantly told this final segment of everyone including heather and eve repeating you must walk to the torre de belem the pit stop for this leg of the race Mm. constantly over and over again and then heather and eve don't walk instead they get a taxi because you know it's like midnight and realize their mistake in the middle of the ride and end up continuing anyway as they think you can't run into the pit stop and as much as i would have loved them to try and drive a taxi on the footbridge to the torre de belem i think this may have just been a case of eve going yeah i don't want to officially quit the race but i'm kind of done so if we get a penalty here we get a penalty here if it eliminates us it eliminates us if it doesn't whatever we'll carry on and we'll find a a way of carrying up Mm. yeah since we're on the scene anyway i was listening really closely to the scene like was it eve that because i always make fun of the i guess we just have to walk into the pit stop so i had to watch this whole scene play out because i'm like who who's the one that suggests it's walk into the pit stop because if it's eve then it's like yeah she's trying to get herself eliminated but it was heather who suggested she says oh maybe we just walk into the pit stop and eve just hesitates and says yeah, maybe we do just walk into the pit stop. It's it's the middle of the night. It's sort of as if, as if they're walking into a mosque in the middle of the day where you should be walking. Like, seriously? Harvard! Harvard! <laughs> God. What's funny with the roadblock too is that I never noticed this before either, but when Heather tries to block one of the shots, she blatantly runs her head into one of the soccer, onto one of the goalposts. <laughs> this is not a good episode for Heather and Eve. I was thinking that's another thing that took me 19 years to notice. Eve drives herself into a post and Heather just runs her head into a post. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe they were both just. Uh, <laughs> maybe Heather suggested walk into because she still had a concussion from ramming her head into a post. Also, you know how we like to talk about the T Mobile um, T Mobile soundboard that was on the phones? And yeah. how flows was uh, they're gonna kill me and they're gonna kill zach i think if we did that for the podcast michelle's one when you press say number seven would just be harvard (laughs) (laughs) oh and the clue when they open it up for the pit stop where michael opens the clue and then he reads congratulations that was that was a world cup performance yeah you blocked one damn penalty kick yeah this season did film in the lead up to the world cup didn't it oh yeah it was 2002 2002 was definitely world cup yeah because it was japan and south korea yeah i was thinking was it france or was it asia <laughs> no it was, it was japan and south korea because it was the um the first one held in asia and this film this aired on tv in september oh this would have been the same time as the world cup it filmed august to september of that year so yeah the world cup would have happened just like a month earlier yeah, no wonder there was a World Cup task, <laughs> or World Cup theme task, I should say. Yeah, the uh, the 2002 World Cup ended on the 30th of June. So just barely a month later, just over a month later, they're doing that task. Okay, that makes sense. Plus they're in freaking Lisbon. It was also an incredibly quick turnaround from uh, from filming to airing on this season. It was less than a month. But yeah, it goes by pretty quick. Was it Ken Gerard finished the roadblock surprisingly quick? It's Michael, then Ken, then Damon, then John Vito, then Zach, Heather, Ian, and Ariane. Oh, and then, then the one other funny Flo and Zach thing from the roadblock was Flo opens the clue and says, that person should have long arms and fast feet. That's you. I'm thinking, 
What Roblox hint is going to come up where Zach says, that's all you, Flo. <laughs> Maybe once. We are going to get to the infamous Flowed Block very soon. Oh, yeah. That's, what, two episodes from now? Yeah, two episodes. So the first team to arrive is Heather and Eve. Then the second team to arrive is Ken and Gerard. Third is Flo and Zach. Fourth is Derek and Drew. Fifth is Andre and Damon. Sixth is Terry and Ian. Seventh is John Vito and Jill. Eighth is Michael and Kathy. And last is Aaron and Ariane. Yeah, one thing, one major editing thing I noticed was you never see, they always film behind Phil when he tells them what place they're in. You never see his lips build and say, Andre and Damon, you're, you know, your team number, you know, your team number, whatever they were, five? Yeah. Like, oh, Andre and Damon, you're, or I guess technically they were fourth. But yeah, he doesn't say, Andre and Damon, you're team number four, team number five. Every single team. It's always filmed from behind Phil. Mm. So clearly he must have explained to them what happened, says, this actually happened, so you're not actually team number three, you're team number two. You can definitely tell if you're watching this episode on headphones that it is all ADR. Phil's, you're the first team to arrive. Every single one of those is put in post-production, you can tell. Yeah, he, he. I'm guessing he just tells the teams, like, we don't know exactly what place you're in, we're trying to figure that out as we speak. <laughs> yeah do you think that production realized after the fact that aaron and ariane weren't eliminated from the race do you think that aaron and ariane were told here you're the last team to arrive and i'm sorry to tell you you've been eliminated from the race and then it went to judges ruling i don't think so it's, it seems like what happened just because we never see phil's lips move i think aaron and ariane stepped onto the mat and they said where phil just tells them hey we're trying to figure something out. Give us a few minutes just to wait here. And then they called in Heather and even Aaron and Ariane. And then they talk about what happened. The reason I say that is because obviously it's a super weird elimination scene. And Phil's exact words are that the advantage that Heather and Eve gained was at least seven minutes. So it feels like they eliminated Aaron and Ariane, then realized that Heather and Eve maybe should have been eliminated instead sent someone out to do the journey on foot and to do it on taxi and then called them all back. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like there's a bit too much of a grey area and they probably ended up having to ring LA or New York and get a ruling on it whilst also sending out some of the interns or something to do that journey in reverse and work out what the advantage actually was. Because Phil is incredibly unspecific when he's talking to Heather and Eve at the end, going, you gained at least seven minutes. Usually, they would have thought about this and actually had an exact time ruling on it. Yeah, I don't know, just because they don't, like, Aaron and I never seem, like, super disappointed, especially when they got called into the room, or when they, like, when they step onto the mat, they just say, oh, say it isn't so. I'm like, oh, isn't that a Weezer song? But uh, <laughs> they step onto the mat, and then there's no word from Phil or anything. It just immediately cuts to that that uh, that separate, very unusual scene. I think only this one and the Nancy and Emily, Joe and Bill one are the only two times ever where multiple teams get called in to a separate room after everyone's checked in. Yeah, because the other element of this as well is the fact that if Aaron and Ariane weren't told they were eliminated before they realised the mistake... How would they have handled Aaron and Ariane being eliminated? Would they have called them back to the mat and refilmed it? Or would they have brought them alone into the room in the tower to speak to Phil and say, sorry, you're eliminated? 
I think what would have happened is they would have just cut out all of that initial stuff of figuring out what the time difference was. I think if Aaron and Ian were still eliminated, it would just cut to Aaron and Ian, you are the last team to arrive. I'm sorry, you've been eliminated from the race after it's all been figured out. I think they just would have filmed that on the map. Yeah, the fact that everything is from the back of Phil rather than facing Phil makes me think that they definitely told Aaron and Ariane they were the last team to arrive, and I'm sorry to tell you, you've been eliminated from the race, and then they had to go back and fix it. It just feels like that to me. Well, I guess that's one more question to try and ask one of them. <laughs> yeah. Get to eating, Saunders. I want the answer to that question by next episode. Yeah, I'm very curious. Yeah, I don't know how, because they're probably thinking, because... There aren't too many legs in the early seasons where everyone checks in, especially with this many teams. Like, I can't recall too many times, maybe on even any season, well, actually season four, leg two, when they all checked into Venice, I think they were all within 20 minutes from first to 11th, I believe. But here it's like nine teams are left and they all check in within 31 minutes from, from first to last. That's a lot for nine teams. That's that's one team checking in, what, every three, three and a half minutes? <laughs> like, that's really close together. And that's with them. That's with teams not really seeing each other too much, too, on trying to figure out where the pit stop is. Like, there are quite a few different streets where you can get to the pit stop. But uh, Michael and Kathy were first out of the roadblock, and then there's second to last to the mat, with Kathy being exhausted, not being able to run. And of course, Terry and Ian's very iconic pit stop entrance, where he turns into drill, drill sergeant, where he's like, "Dig it in, Terry! Hoorah! You gotta do this now!" And then getting onto <laughs> the getting onto the pit stop mat, where he's like, "I yelled at her, I dragged her, I prompted her, and we're here. God bless America." <laughs> I don't know how anyone could hate Terry and Ian after this episode. I'm sorry. It's just delightful to see them be so eccentric for want of a better word and heather and eve have a brilliant exit quote that i think may have really annoyed michelle which is that they are happy with how they played the game very ethically very honestly (laughs) do you agree michelle (laughs) oh vaguely jeez (laughs) and they made a mistake anyone can make and i'm like has there been a team that got eliminated because they drove to the pit stop instead of walked to the pit stop we've had teams that have have done that but they're able to backtrack and avoid elimination but i'm like i don't know if any team has actually made that mistake to be eliminated no not anybody could make that mistake sorry love or we've had because uh what was it i guess the closest would be like nathan and jennifer and their croatia leg when they took a private car to the pit stop and then they had to backtrack it was the ice cream it was the cherry melting on top of the sundae <laughs> but uh yeah i'm thinking that's not really a mistake anybody can make because it happens very rarely and no one else has ever been eliminated because of that same mistake other and eve mm-hmm. and then what's funny is that the extra bit of controversy the reason why i think they filmed it with that whole scene of heather and eve in the taxi with them figuring out what they need to do and reading the clue out loud is because in the eggs interview, and I think pretty much in the 19 years since then, they've still maintained this, but Heather and Eve keep claiming, I know for sure at the time too, they said that they checked with production that they could walk into the pit stop and that production said, yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine, you don't have to take a taxi. Because they keep saying that 
production told them they didn't have to go back and then walk from the roadblock to the pit stop. That walking into the pit stop was fine. Yeah. It's the we will pay your taxes from Survivor thing all over again. <laughs> yeah, it's like, did that really happen? Or Heather Neve just trying to save face? Because production, I mean, there's a reason why production shows that very long scene of Heather Neve in the cab saying, oh, I guess we just walk into the pit stop because we see their whole thought process on screen and the decision that they make. We don't see them turn to a producer saying, oh, can we just walk into the pit stop? So I think the reason why they showed that whole scene and then this, them deciding, okay, we'll walk into the pit stop. I think they already knew what Heather and Eve's defense argument was going to be pretty much when they were eliminated. Cause I'm sure Heather and Eve must have said, even on location, oh, production told us we could walk into the pit stop <laughs> and that we could take a taxi to the tour de Bellum. So I think they had to include this scene just, just for production to be like, no, don't believe what Heather and Eve say. And then the other crazy component to this is that there's been a very, very strong rumor ever, I think ever since this season, that Heather and Eve were supposedly invited onto All Stars or that they are really, really close to making the final cut for All Stars. Really? Yeah, that's been one I've heard about since, well, for sure, since they were casting for All-Stars, there was always rumor of, oh, Heather and Eve are strong contenders for it. And I think it was mentioned in, I don't know if it was an interview with Bertram or Lise or Phil, but there was, there was some legitimate, it had some legitimate legs to it that Heather and Eve were going to be on, on the first All-Star season. Weird, because I would never pick them. Over, you know, Dustin and Candace who were kind of villains and really pissing people off just one season earlier and had made final four or over Lynn and Carlin, who were the first team to make final three or over freaking Charlotte Marin. It's like, no, we're going to bring back Heather and Eve, the team <laughs> who, who like nearly sued production or production nearly sued them. And who were the only team to walk into or uh, walk into a pit stop than rather than walk to the pit stop. God. So next time, an iconic run of episodes continues as Flo breaks down on a mountainside before cars get broken on the way to Morocco. And I cannot tell you how much joy I get from saying that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> because I genuinely cannot wait to cover episode 5. Yeah, there are two other things I want to talk about with that end finish. One is... That, that contrast between Heather and Eve looking completely miserable in that room at the pit stop, and then Aaron's grin, like Aaron visibly grins when, when he clues in that he's going that he's still in the race, and he grins so much that he proceeds to cover his mouth so Heather and Eve don't see him <laughs> so happy about still being in the race. And then Arian pretty much has to do the same thing. It's like, oh, we got to pretend that we're not super duper happy and jump up for joy that we're not eliminated from this thing. <laughs> It will not shock you to know that Aaron and Ariane's reaction is our banner this week. It's just this huge, massive grin. It's like, well, you have Heather and Eve on one side and Aaron and Ariane on the other. And this is, of course, the last time where teams are gathered or whoever's affected by the penalty are sequestered in another room to decide who's being eliminated. Things are going to change pretty quickly with the rules where it's going to be, oh, you have a time penalty for this, step aside on the mat, and then uh, wait for me to tell you when to come on the mat. Now, I think if this were to happen nowadays with what happened to Heather and Eve, it would just be 30-minute penalty, boom, stand off to the side of the mat, and they would, in fact, 
be still alive in the race by just one minute, if yeah. not seconds. <laughs> so in season three, this would knock out Heather Knee, but I think just a couple seasons later, they would still be in the race, which is kind of a fun uh, alternate inner universe to think about. Because then I don't think Heather and Eve would figure out that their car needs diesel. Can you imagine them driving to Morocco next week? With trying to fill up their truck with diesel fuel? I think even Michael and Kathy would have would have made it to the next pit stop ahead, ahead of Heather and Eve. Yeah. So have you guys got anything else you want to say? I do have a quick question. What's John Vito's surname? And why do we have to call him John Vito and not just John? Because that's his name. Wait a minute. Is his surname Vito? No. No. It's his middle name. What is it? I've, 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 I've stumbled upon his Facebook a few times. Okay. I just find it annoying. Why does he have to have two names? Thank you, Michelle. That was all. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> I was not expecting that question. <laughs> and of all the things that happened this episode, I was not expecting. <laughs> why is John Vito? Why does he have two first names? We just get through one of the most iconic episodes in Amazing Race history. It's not about Heather and Eve. It's not about Andre and Damon. It's not about Terry and Ian. It's not about Derek and Drew and Ken and Gerard's alliance or the Twin Hunt or about Flo and Zach. It's like, oh, the John Vito. Two names. What up with that? Just what is with John Vito? That is the real question. Just pick one. John or Vito. Which one you want to be? You know Make why? a damn choice, man. I have got three girls in my class with double names. And I'm like, just parents, just give them one name. It's hard enough in kindergarten to write one name, let alone two. It's ridiculous. Oh, Michelle, never change. (laughs) (laughs) So have you guys got anything else you want to say? (laughs) No, not now. Uh, I already talked about the penalty and the grin. Just say Uh, no, Saunders. (laughs) in that case thank you for listening to our amazing race recap we'll be back next week to continue watching amazing race 3 with episode 5 and technically our halloween episode in july don't forget you can contact us on twitter facebook youtube or instagram where we are rtv warriors or you can email and contact at rtvwarriors.com logan's on twitter at locks of quacky michelle is bear three and i'm mj halfstone see you next week peace out and just chill till the next episode Bye. Terry and Ian are right here, Ariane. On the boat? On the boat. Ew.